0: Oh, yeah, here we go practice acquisition There are pitfalls throughout the entire process All right, all right guys, we are finally here Shark Week is kicking off today. I am super excited about this week. We've got the top practice brokers all around the country that I will be interviewing, and today is the first one. I'm super excited about today's interview because he's a friend of mine, and I've done a lot of deals with him. I've learned a lot from him over those years, and it's been a great partnership. So we are kicking off with uh, Rod Johnson with Omni. So, So some of the highlights from from the uh, episode is don't use the rule of thumb because that could get you in trouble. Any rule of thumb is, is not gonna be for every deal, right? We, we also talked about value is not based on opportunity. The value is based on the numbers and what the practice is doing today, not what it did historically and not what it could do. It's based on what's what's happened in the last two years. Cash flow is key. We talked about that. That's going to be a common theme with every practice broker. Cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Um, and then we we deep dived a little bit into like the add backs and how to figure out cash flow, the the net adjusted income you'll see on a lot of these prospectuses. So we talk about that. You know, it's a great episode to kick this this whole week off. I'm super excited. Just as a reminder, we have T-shirts. Anybody that reviews the podcast. And says, and says obviously something positive, we will send you a t-shirt. So DM us on Instagram or Facebook if you write us a review and we will send you your very own Shark Week t-shirt. So let's get this, this whole series going. Uh, the very first episode of Shark Week, uh, let's get Rod in here. Here we go, here we
1: go. Acquisition Uncensored. The truth when buying and selling a dental practice. And now your
0: host, Michael D'Incio. Okay, okay guys, here we go. Another episode of Shark Week uns- Dental Uncensored. We are running through the gamut here, folks. Um, for those of you have been following along, um, let's get excited because we are kicking off Shark Week today. And we are starting with a friend, a dear friend of mine that I've been doing business for, gosh, a long time. And it's the perfect person to start this week. And uh, he owns Omni Practice Group. His name's Rod Johnston, uh, a practice broker up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, They have about 12 brokers. They work uh, all throughout the country, really. And uh, this dude has a ton of knowledge. So, Rod, thanks for being on the program, man.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. No problem. So I, I won't take any offense calling us sharks, but uh, that's, that's,
0: well, <laughs> that's we're, you're, you're supposed to actually, you're supposed to take offense <laughs> to it. And, um, and, uh, we, are, we are sharks, I guess. Uh, no, I, I would say pun intended, not, no, no pun intended. <laughs> <That's>
1: right, <we're laughs> no, sharks.
0: no, I mean, <laughs> at, at the end of the day, it's, it's fun to have fun with it, but, um, but yeah, you guys uh, are representing the other side and, um, we had the honor of having Cindy on the program earlier on this, uh, this season. And, yeah. uh, Omni is a, a fantastic group. And Cindy gave us a lot of uh, great information about what it feels like to be a buyer and a seller. She sold with her husband, uh, I think a couple times, uh, I think you helped her with that maybe once yeah. or twice. And yeah. so it was just a great episode and I'm looking forward to today. So, um, but tell us a little bit about Omni. I'm, I'm we're going to have, a bunch of Omni information below in the show notes, but you know,
1: walk us through Omni and, and what you guys are all about. Yeah, so uh, my, my background's counting and finance. I was assistant treasurer for AT T Wireless, which then they got bought out by Singular. I happened to be flipping houses on the side, kind of for fun, and and uh, met a dentist, um, and uh, we worked together on some things. And uh,
0: F- famous last words, meta yep. dentist.
1: Meta dentist. <laughs> I know a guy. I know a guy. So, yeah. <laughs> so we, uh, he asked me to help help him sell his practice, and we did a couple more, and it just kind of kept going, and, and it fits my background perfectly because I did a ton with AT and T on the financing side, and I also did sales right out of college. I was a stockbroker for a year and um, some other things. So it was all just. Bit perfectly. I work with M and A group at AT and T. So, so I was like, oh, that was kind of fun. And I was happened to be researching business brokering at that time, and and uh, didn't realize there was such a thing as practice brokers, and and uh, it just kept snowballing and going. And uh, um, after a couple of years, I I started out just in Washington, and then. We jumped into Oregon, and then a few years later, uh, a lady I know called me, and she had worked for a CPA firm, and uh, she left the firm, and she's like, hey, I thought, I'm thought i thinking about being a practice broker, and you thought, <laughs> thinking about hiring anybody, and I said, sure, and she was in Oregon, and it worked out yeah. great, and then I uh, Another guy I worked with in Colorado joined us and another, uh, my college roommate uh, joined me. And then I hired Steve Kikikis to do just the real estate. So he focuses on just the real estate. We have a couple real estate brokers now, and it it just has kind of organically grown by itself with really, I haven't really done hardly any recruiting whatsoever of brokers. And now we're, I have broker, have about 12 brokers uh, throughout the United States and um, we have sold probably 400 or so practices over the years, and and uh, there's three of us that are certified uh, valuation analysts, and we we've, we've done over a thousand practice valuations. Uh, I've done expert witness testimony on several practices, everything from divorces to I did the Korean air crash uh, where there was a dentist on board the Korean um, air crash in San Francisco, so I got to. Uh, be deposed by Boeing and their attorneys and, and Korean air. So that was kind of fun. Wow, and wow. Uh, So, so yeah, and it's, it's been interesting. I've been doing it for 18 years and it's kind of ebbed and flowed and uh, you know, the banks have changed. It used to be one or two banks for financing practices and, and uh, you and your old B of A days was one of them. And then um, that's kind of evolved. Now there's probably a dozen that yeah, are financing yeah, yeah. practices in, in in all the states, really. So it's uh, and values have been creeping up um, over the years. That's primarily due to the interest rates. When I started, interest rates were about seven to seven and a half percent, and then they kept going down and down. At one point, um, I think one of the banks had like one point eight percent financing and. And so that's there's a correlation between values of practices and interest rates too, because the values are based on cash flow. So um, yeah. after debt service, um, there's there's more cash flow if the interest rates are low. So
0: well, you're getting you're getting into you're getting into a lot of stuff here, Rod. You're you're I think you should be the host today, and I'll and I'll be <laughs> the, I'll be the questioner. I'll take the questions, but no, well, I that's mean kind
1: of the dynamic of being of being a broker is is we're not just a, a salesperson that goes we don't just go match a buyer and seller together we have to know accounting we have to know finance we have to know what the interest rates are we have to know how practices work where the good things are in a practice and where the potential improvements are we'd have to know the real estate side of things and look at the leases Um, so you have to know 15 different things in order to be a practice broker you can't just be a former dentist and go out and start selling practices. You know,
0: I, you know, it's, it's interesting because in, in a lot of worlds where, you know, valuation and practice or or not just practice, but just evaluation, you you know, I went through that training too. I find that like, you know, consulting what I, what the work that I do um, and brokerage, there really is uh, an intermingling there because, you know, in order to sell a practice for more or help someone with an exit strategy, you have to, you have to understand what moves a practice and yep. um, there's a lot of overlap there. And so I, I think, I think you make a great point. And that is that, you know, brokers aren't sharks. Uh, I mean, there's definitely some out there, the the ones i <clears throat> the ones I'm interviewing definitely not, but there's a lot of practice brokers in the country that, that you do got to be careful of. However, um, I can, I can honestly say that the, there's, there's the most of them, most of practice brokers and you could, you were the president of the 80, uh, what is it? The um, the National
1: Association of Practice Brokers. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, you, you have a good uh, sample size there and um, you know, a lot of those people are, are almost uh, consultants themselves. Right. I mean,
1: Um, yeah, yeah. You're, your psychologists, even at times, because some, sometimes uh, it's good to have that mediator between the buyer and the seller, because there's times when the buyer's really upset about something going on in the sale and they just want to walk away or they want to call the seller up and just chew them out. Or the seller wants to call the buyer or the banker and chew them out. And we have to be the the peacemaker in between the two. It's just like, no, no, let's figure it out. We'll, we'll calm down. We'll, and we, we get over all the speed, speed uh, bumps in the road and yeah. Yeah. So we're problem solvers. And yeah, so it's, it's, it's fun.
0: So 400 practices over the years, needless to say, um, you've got a lot of experience. One thing that I wanted to to jump into early on in this interview was what are some like pitfalls that buyers make on a, on a daily basis? Like I, you you know, as me as a buyer's rep, I've got my sample size and, and I, I see the issues, but someone that's been doing this a lot longer than me, you've seen it over the years. What what are some of those common things that you think buyers do where they're getting themselves in the way of themselves?
1: (laughs) If that makes sense. I, I think number one and the most common thing is buyers, they aren't educated on how to buy a practice. And that's where someone like you comes into play where you can help show them what they need to be looking at and you know we get a ton of buyers that just come in and look at a practice and they're like okay it's a it's, it's a dental practice what do I look at and yeah. they don't know how to read financial statements they don't know that the fact that there's no endo in the practice or there's no ortho in the practice is a good thing because that's something you can it can grow in in the practice so they don't know um, how to analyze the practice and they've heard the rule of thumb valuations of 70 80 90 percent of collections whatever it is that year um, so just the uh, <clears throat> you know they, they really should attend some of the well in fact just to do a little pitch you have a buyer's seminar coming up um, <laughs> so attend those and just educate yourself um, on what you should be looking for in, in a practice because we get A ton of buyers come in and kick the tires and they just look at them and they rule it out right away without seeing that. Okay. It's a four op practice or even a three op practice. Um, you know, they'll rule rule those out because it's a three op and they want four op. And, you know, the more ops you add, the more rent you're going to pay. So, um, bigger is not always better. So.
0: I, I love that tip because, um, because podcasts are the problem. Um, Books are the problem, you know, the, the, the these general rolls of thumbs, <laughs> rolls of yeah. thumbs, um, get into the way of these deals because uh, I had a client the other day. I know this isn't startup um, uncensored uh, acquisition, but point in case, you know, she listened to a podcast and, and someone was saying how you have to do at least eight ops these days if you want to sell to to DSO or corporate. And this is a startup. I mean, I mean, come on, like most of our clients, Rob, that are, that you're selling a practice or my buyers buying your, your practices. Most of these practices are five ops, six ops, and they're making tons of money. They have great businesses. They're in great areas. They've, they've fed their family, fed their retirement for years. And, and here someone's on a podcast saying you need at least eight ops or six to eight ops. And, right. and so then you have these buyers walk in to due diligence and just <laughs> using the rules yeah. of thumb, you know? So, yeah. so with that being said, let's, let's roll that into the next question is in your mind, if you were buying a practice and I know that you have, um, what would be the things that you would look for if it was your practice or your daughter buying a practice, like what would be the most, the biggest thing that would stand out to you?
1: Um, for, for me personally, I, I like the, um, the fixer practices, but that's probably because of my background, I flipped houses. So I used to buy garbage houses and fix them and sold them for a profit. So I, I like those practices that are run down and the doctor used to do a million dollars a year, but now he's 74 years old and he's slowing down and, you know, he's got old equipment and, um, and he's now doing 600 or 700,000, but he's just in maintenance mode at that point in time. He's, he might, might have a hygienist. He might be doing the hygiene himself. Um, he's got old chairs, chairs, prices of chairs have come down, although with the supply chain stuff, I'm not sure where they are today, but uh, <laughs> but they used to be like 12 or 15,000, but now you can pick one up for probably seven or eight, eight grand. So, um, so, yeah, I, li- I like the fixture practice where I look and see that that there's no ortho and they're doing a lot of um, uh, hygiene, but not a lot of treatment in the practices. Um, I-, I wouldn't have a problem with the three-op practice because, you know, you can grow that fairly quickly. You're not paying a ton of rent and you can quickly, if, if you do outgrow the space, you can find another space to move to um, fairly easily. So. Um, so those type of practice, but everybody's different. Some people want to go into a practice and have one that's cash flowing already, and it's doing 1.5 million. And you just pull out the seller dentist and plop in the new dentist, and and you can keep that going. So just it's a personality thing.
0: It, it it definitely is. Are are you an entrepreneur or are you kind of not? And and it's okay not to be. By the way, folks, like I, you don't have to be Superman or Superwoman. Like know who you are and and understand that. And I think the better that you understand yourself, you, you can look at a practice that uh, these practice brokers show you and you can hopefully see the opportunity. So, so it's really about opportunity to sum that up as you're, you're, you're trying to dig for the, the, the opportunity in the practice and you can realize quick gains and keep your debt low and potentially flip the practice if you're, if you're that entrepreneur and um, so that, that makes a ton of sense. It, it fits my personality too. However, you know, I practice manage uh, lots of practices and it's, it's hard to run a business these days. There's no question about it. So, um, what, so let's talk about valuation for a half second. Let's not get into the theory. I know your brain's a lot bigger than mine when it comes to <laughs> theories and calculations and all that, but speaking of the fixer upper I get the uh, I get into the conversations all the time because there's the unicorn practice that's throwing off tons of money everybody wants that practice it's in a very yeah. very you know Bellevue or you know whatever Redmond Kirkland here around the Northwest right. um, but you just mentioned like the fixer upper and you know a practice throwing off 700,000 isn't necessarily a crappy practice like you said if it was doing a million dollars, and it's doing 700 and it's still making good money, it's not a bad thing. No. How do sellers, like there's valuation and then there's like opportunity. So I want to have that conversation because of course, broker's job is to sell the opportunity, but the banks are only going to lend so much and whatever, yada, yada, yada. How do you get the seller's psyche or that mind shift that it's not worth a million dollars because it did that 15 years ago. (laughs) How how do you, because the buyers, the buyers are looking at that saying this thing's tanking, you know, I want to buy it for a bargain, you know, and that's not necessarily appropriate either, but there is a middle ground somewhere and how do you help the sellers navigate like that? It's
1: not worth a million dollars, dude. Yeah. That's i I'm laughing because that's, we run into that. (laughs) 75 <laughs> percent of the time was like well i used to do 1.5 or or they're building a new uh you know development right behind my office so it's going to go up and you know production is going to go way up so you know the the value is not based on potential and and we do our best to educate them and seven out of ten ten will get it um you know if we, we tell them it's just like uh, values and and banks finance based on on your last two years collections, not your last five years. So they don't go back. It's like, oh, okay. He did 1.5, five years ago. So let's base it on 1.5 million. It's in in fact, we have a deal like this going
0: right now where we, we made an offer and I don't think your seller was okay with it. No,
1: (laughs) no, no. But it doesn't matter if if it production's down because of a health reason or you lost a hygienist or what the reason is that banks don't care. They're like, your collections are down. That's what the value is. It's, it's, you know, it's like having a car It used to be nice and shiny and beautiful and you can sell it for $50,000, but now it's five years later, it's been run down and beat up and you can't sell it for what it used to be worth. So.
0: Yeah. And do Um, they, do they fight you pretty hard? Like when you do the valuation and you send them the number, is it always like a shock to them? And like, how's that usually go down?
1: Yeah, no, it, uh, yeah, usually they are surprised. Uh, they, they, they say, well, you know, the, it used to do this, so it should, we think it should be worth this. And, and sometimes we give in and we'll say, okay, well, how about we do this? We'll put it on the market for 30 or 60 days. And if we get some, somebody who really wants the practice, we'll, you know, try to do our best to get it. But you have to be willing to carry back um, some of the financing because banks only finance 85 or 90% of the, the collection number. So, yeah. so you have to carry back, which, which means that the banks will finance, you know, 850,000, but you have to finance the last 200,000 yourself. And
0: if you can find a buyer, that's okay with the price, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, So seller carrybacks are a good topic. I get, I get that question a lot. Um, Let's save that for the end of the episode. Um, The, I, I, I could imagine folks, you know, most of our listeners are buyers. I think, um, I, I I want you to imagine what these poor sharks have to do. They, they have to go out to the market and there's probably, I don't know, there's a handful of competitors that you compete with in every single market. Right. Rod. So, so each broker is out there trying to find a seller to potentially list their practice. So, so then they have to say to the seller, "Hey, your practice isn't worth that much." And then the next broker could come in and say, "Your practice is worth a million dollars." Rod said it was only worth <laughs> eight. Your practice, and then and so then there's this expectation, and, and I'm sitting on my side of the buyer side, right? That the practice broker, and that one might be a real shark, where they're trying to drive for a million dollars. Rod valued it appropriately. It should have been put to the market appropriately. And so then you start creating these really unhealthy conversations, you know, you start getting people in bad, bad shape. And Omni's yeah. a very, very reputable, uh, very reputable brokerage firm. How, like, if you were a buyer, how would you, how would you
1: navigate those waters? Um, uh- You mean as far as uh, looking at a practice that one broker has it valued at 30,000, 300,000 more than the other broker?
0: Yeah. Or, I mean, you would never know that because the practice is listed, right? And so it's, it's listed for a million dollars, but it really should be 700 because that's appropriate. Um, You know, and think about that folks, like the brokers are trying to compete for that business. And so that's a hard situation. They're trying to get that listing. So if a broker takes a practice and lists it for a lot more, what are some things the buyers can do to really right. like make sure that they're not paying crazy amount of money for it? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I understand that uh, not all the prices of practices are based on the broker's valuation. Like example, you just gave it's, uh, there's sellers who they require 1.5 million, even though the practice is only doing a million, they're like, Nope, that's what we want to do it. But the, put the, yeah. um, practice on the, on the market at 1.5. And even though we valued it a million and, and sometimes we will we'll do that, like the case you're talking about, um, just to show the seller that, you know, the market's not going to pay that. So my advice to the, the buyer would be to go ahead and submit your offer. Um, you know, provide some support to your offer and show that this is how we valued it. And more than likely, it's going to be in line with where we came at. You know, if you use you as a consultant and and even some of the other brokers and, you know, we have, we're fortunate we have some really good brokers in uh, the Pacific Northwest and um, we get along great with all of them. So, um, so yeah, they'll, they'll provide you good feedback and just show the seller that uh, this is we're right, <laughs> yeah, where right. The value <laughs> should be out
0: on the practice. So it, it's a, it's almost like, and that's a good point. Like it, the your client's the client. And so you have to listen to the client and you have to represent them yeah. the, to the best of your ability, but that yeah. conversation probably has happened. So, so the team getting a team, even, even you, Rod, valuing a practice, you, you guys do valuations all the time. Um, yeah. you, you can work with people like me, like Rod all across the country that, that uh, that can help you come to that, that that proper that proper number.
1: That's what I'm hearing. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there yeah. are those unicorns that uh, the cash flow is so crazy. The overhead might be, you know, national average is 65, percent but their overhead might be 40. And you're just like, holy cow, this thing's you know, the cash flow really does support 140% of collections so it's just like well how do you value that you know and- yeah it goes it does go the other way well
0: i've seen those yeah. where you're you know a broker would be asking 110% of collections and um and it's totally justified because the practice is making so much money rod yeah. you always you taught me this years ago the million dollar role. if a practice is you remember this? What you told me ten years ago. Yeah. Walk us through that. If you have two million dollar practices, what's that yeah. scenario like? Yeah. Well,
1: it's uh, it's I go through this in one of the seminars. <laughs> that if you have uh, two practice practices, one's producing a million dollars with sixty-five or seventy percent overhead, and another one's producing say eight hundred or eight fifty with fifty percent overhead. Which ones? Which one's going to be worth more? Uh, the one that makes the more money i mean it's yeah naturally you would think that so it's like well it's it's you know the rule of thumb is 80 90 whatever percent of, of collection. so the million dollar practice is going to be worth the most but in reality if you do the cash flow analysis the lower um, producing practice is actually worth more cuz its cash flowing a lot better than the, the larger practice so so when you look at it from a cash flow basis sometimes the lower producing practice is worth more and cat and cash flow
0: is key um, yeah, it, is it, king. it's king it's king, so um you guys try to do a great job, or you guys try to 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 lay out cash flow very clean for buyers in your perspectives. Yeah. What would you say to the buyers? I guess it's probably the same advice that we just said as as far as getting a team together, but what are some of the let me ask it a different way. What are some of the like pitfalls that buyers do when they're looking at financials because that you know buyers they're not cpas you're a cpa i'm not a cpa (laughs) i've looked i've looked at them for years of course i know um but they have never seen them and so what's the biggest pitfalls
1: you hear from buyers yeah well the 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 funny one to me anyway and and most accountants is they'll look at the profit and loss statement and say that they're not making any money. How do I, how do I <laughs> buy this practice? It shows a negative $50,000 on the tax return and, and know that, uh, that the goal of most accountants is to pay, have the, their client pay as few taxes as possible. So, um, there's going to be some things that are in the practice that, uh, that you can, they're, they're called addbacks. So, um, you start out with that negative $50,000 and you start adding back expenses, um, such as they may be employing the wife in the practice as a bookkeeper. And she may be doing the books, but they're getting paid 75 or $80,000 a year. And they're only doing books three hours a week. So you add that 80,000, all of a sudden that negative 50 becomes a positive 30. And then you keep going through the PL and L and profit loss statement, the tax return, and and start keep going. All those addbacks eventually come, and you'll get the true adjusted net income um, of the practice. So so don't don't look at a tax return or a profit loss statement and say, oh my, well, it's not making any money. I wouldn't buy this thing. It, it it is. You just need to dig a little deeper and and have someone like you know, Mike or, or myself or someone help you go through those numbers that know what they're doing.
0: That can be really frustrating. Like I could imagine a buyer like frustrated about that. Right. And, and I think they, (laughs) most, most clients that I work with just in general, most, most folks that are approaching a sale or a startup, you know, they're, they're cautiously optimistic. Um, uh, I wouldn't say that they have an adversarial, like untrusting persona but they but they have a healthy skepticism i suppose is is probably the way that i would say that and so when they're approaching a situation they see a tax return or a profit and loss that's a negative profit um i could see how maybe you know their guard goes way up and so it's it really is working through that i think the really good brokers will dig in like you guys do and say hey listen like I'm about to send you financials and you're going to probably think it doesn't make any money, but let me explain it to you. (laughs) You know, that's the job of the broker really to do
1: that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we have some really good brokers who know the financial end of things that can, can walk you through the, the valuation and, and the numbers, Um, you know, and, and use your broker to your advantage. You know, we're we're in this for the long haul. So we're not going to try to pull a wool over your eyes if if we, I think it's a good practice. We'll tell you it's a good practice. If we, we think there's a lot of work that needs to go into the practice, we'll tell you there's a lot of work that needs to go into the practice. So we're, we're going to be in this uh, business for a long time. So our, our word is everything. So.
0: No, that that's, that's so true. Again, we're having fun with the whole shark week uh, week, but you know, my favorite question to ask brokers is, is like, okay, what's wrong with this deal? Cause there's something wrong. There's wrong. There's something wrong with every practice. I mean, I'm yeah. a I'm a practice consultant. There's something wrong with every single practice. My my job is to to rat out where m- my company can help businesses grow. So there's just something wrong with every practice. I've never found a perfect practice.
1: Well, that's um, that's good advice to buyers too. Is uh, don't look for that perfect practice. We get to, we we call them tire kickers. We have people that call us and we know who they are and. They've been looking at at practices for seven years, and uh, you and I have a notorious one who kept looking and looking, and uh, we finally told her, it's like, you know, if you'd bought that first practice we showed you seven years ago, it would have been paid off, and it was a million dollar practice, and you'd have a million dollars of equity in your pocket, and you could sell it and go buy your dream practice today instead of you know waiting seven years working as an associate and probably seven different locations in those seven years, you know, struggling through that. You could have built some equity in a practice and and then go buy your practice. So.
0: it's it's so true. You know, we we always talk about you and I, like opportunity costs. Yeah. And and there the opportunity cost of not getting into ownership for yourself is is a lot bigger than you think it is. Um, yep. when you when you really put pen to paper and you start looking at it from a data, from a math perspective, it's actually quite depressing. Um, it, by continuing to go into that associate position that you're probably driving to right now, listening to this podcast, and although it's a great practice and you might love where you work, it's not yours, and you're not benefiting from the equity, from the cat, the extra cash flow. It's definitely harder. There's no question about it. I mean, Rod, you you've yeah. been an entrepreneur your whole life uh, i own next level it's it's hard right it's it, it is hard managing people but it's so rewarding it's so rewarding um yeah. um well um you know we didn't get to carry backs i i feel like we would might snooze them a little bit we're at the end of the episode <laughs> Uh, if you're interested in carrybacks, reach out, we can walk you through e- either of those. Uh, Rod's contact information will be below, mine will be as well. But um, Rod, any final, la- any, any last thoughts, final thoughts that you would like to speak directly to buyers and give them a golden nugget if, if you have one on what not to do when approaching a practice
1: broker? Um, well, if I were to give some advice, I, w- I would say get on all the brokers Newsletter lists and uh, study up as much as you can on on owning a practice. You know, when I first got into brokering, I didn't know much about dental practices, but I started going to practice management seminars and webinars. And there's so much information out there these days that you can really get a good education just from sitting at home and going on to YouTube and all these other things. So learn about the finances and those types of things, and then and then. You know, buy a practice sooner rather than later. Um, don't look for that unicorn. You know, kind of the, the other thing is, as an associate, you don't want to be an associate in the town that you want to eventually buy a practice in because your non compete will come into play. So, so, uh, so classic, it's a,
0: it's a classic one. Cool so. That's a golden yeah. nugget in itself, <laughs> right there. <laughs> yep. There, yep. there, yep. there's so many pitfalls. Um, but per, that's, uh, that's 100%. Rod, thanks as always, my friend, for, uh, um, no, being on the show and and participating anybody that's interested in talking to Rod or, or anybody that works for him that's in his family reach out directly. They're a a, a great company, um, wealth of knowledge, Rod. um, I can say that I've learned so much from him over the years myself and he'll, he'll answer questions, whether you're his client or not. And I know that about him. So I'm um, happy to. Yeah. so, Well, with that being said, let's sign off. Thanks again, Rod, for being part of Shark Week.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, take care. Tune in next time for another truth-filled episode of Acquisition Uncensored. We want to hear from you. Interact with your host, Michael Dincio. Follow us on Facebook and YouTube. Comment and subscribe.